Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. How's it hanging, my weirdos? Slightly weird and to the left? Just kidding. I'm Stacy, your host on all things strange and ridiculous. I'm hanging tough and refusing to tap out. Even when everyone else is ready to give up, I refuse to give in. They will have to drag me kicking and screaming from the fight, and I promise to keep on coming to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Stacy's Socials is brought to you by Stacy. We're going to talk about some regional things happening in my area in the city of Washington State. King County Courthouse employees have been told to work from home at the sheriff's orders because it's too dangerous to come to work at the courthouse in King County. That's Seattle, everybody. And this is after a homeless sex offender and drug addict attempted to rape a female employee inside the women's restroom. People, you know, officials have have been discussing having these employees fall back, retreat from the courthouse, and move to working at home or move to a safer location. So I guess the this attempted rape of this poor lady in the bathroom of the courthouse at the place she works was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to say, and they've basically sent everyone home and and so it, okay, let's get into this. According to Como News, they said tired of the crime and harassment around the King County Courthouse, local workers are planning to march Friday to demand safer conditions and plead for the removal of a large nearby homeless camp linked to the crime wave. Now it appears that this camp is not going to be removed. MSN says that staff at the King County Courthouse are putting the blame on what's been described as a steady flow of crime and intimidation because of this camp that's literally right across the street from the courthouse. Park dwellers have become more combative and aggressive since the city has allowed this camp to continue to flourish for over the entire year. Susan Mahoney, presiding judge for King County District Court, says... The behavior that we see on the streets towards people is more random, it's completely unprovoked, it's very aggressive, more frequent, people follow you, spit on you, and there have been significant assaults. The city of Seattle has maintained a policy of not forcibly removing encampments following CDC guidelines that said if there's not adequate shelter for the unhoused, they should be allowed to stay put to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Also... King County courts have suspended all in-person trials and all people that were to be summoned or subpoenaed to appear at the courthouse. Back to business. So they've called off all of court and another person says, a commenter, because a lot of these people want to remain unnamed because they're afraid to speak out about this. They said that several people in our group had clothing, urine, and feces thrown on them. These people are throwing shit on people and attacking them. And they're just trying to go to work. They said that I can feel my heart and blood pressure rising when walking to and from. That's some serious stress. Fight or flight just trying to go to work. That's fucking awful. And then they also said I have had people become angry when I decline to give them money. Needles, human feces on the street, people in crisis screaming at pedestrians. This goes on in my town, by the way, pretty much every day. Literally, I called 911 yesterday while I was at work because the homeless people had set a field on fire. So that actually happened. So it's happening in the smaller areas around the city as well. 
It says that absolutely no enforcement of law has been broken in the courthouse. Yeah, there's no enforcement of any law. And then someone else said, followed by someone screaming and swearing aggressively, this could it would happen at least four times a week, three or four times a week, which is kind of my situation right now, which is definitely not as bad as these people's situation. But I can see where it's going. It says the irony is the closest office to the park in the camp is that of King County Sheriff Mitzi Johannecht. But the sheriff's jurisdiction does not extend beyond the walls of the courthouse. So they can only do inside some, you, it's only county property inside the courthouse, not on the other side of the walls. It's the city of Seattle's responsibility to take care of the courthouse's perimeter and its conditions and the police response. Seattle Police Chief Adrian Diaz says, we are concerned with that park, but staffing is a huge issue for us. Well, you don't re remember that they have lost a lot of cops this year. I think literally like record-breaking in the country. Diaz says, 911 emergency calls are the department's top priority since the department's budget was cut by 17%, resulting in limited patrolling. He said, I lost the community policing. You lose some of those bike officers. You lose some of those anti-crime team officers that were a little bit more on the proactive side of policing, which means they actually did something. Assaults are not limited to the courthouse staff and pedestrians. Richard Weisberger was homeless beginning in 2010, but was able to get a subsidized apartment across the street from the park. He takes pictures of the park to chronicle the plight of the unsheltered, and that's until April 13th when he was beat up by a resident who stole his camera. He says he throws me to the ground and keeps punching me in the face. He in, in sustained a head injury and bruised legs. He told him, he said that he told him, I'm just trying to help while he's punching me. I said, I'm on your side, I'm on your side at least two or three dozen times. This guy is punching this dude. He's obviously mentally ill. He's punching this guy saying that he's trying to help him. But the guy who's getting punched is like, dude, I'm on your side, I'm on your side. You, you know? Holy shit. He says that he's surprised the city has less, let the camp get out, as out of control as it is. He says it's phenomenal that they're allowing this to happen. This guy's gotten himself off the street. He's trying to get his life together, and he's got to deal with this. Courthouse employees are now quitting and asking for transfers to other locations because, of course, personal safety concerns. Judge Mahoney said it's just the fear of what's taken to come in and out of this building has caused a number of our experienced clerks to say, I just can't do this anymore. We've had several employees who have had very frightening incidences involving weapons. Judge Rogers said I was present when the police served a warrant on somebody who had guns and was selling guns out of his tent. He says he's not. OK, this is what the MSN reporter. This is how they wrote the article. He says he's not conflating homelessness with crime, which that means that that reporter asked this judge whether or not he was relating homelessness with crime. This is how he responds. No, not at all. It's a serious crime problem. I'm almost ready to call for City Hall Park to be fenced off. So Como News mentions this mentally ill dude that tried to rape the lady in the bathroom at the courthouse, which is the, you know, the big event after a fucking year of this shit. This guy, so this, he's been arrested. He's 35 years old. He said that he had entered the courthouse before the attack without an issue. 
the woman was able to scream and then someone inside the building was able to come to her rescue and apprehend this guy. One woman said, it's like, wow, you know, wow. (laughs) Who did not feel comfortable being identified. She said, we talk about it a lot. People are very uncomfortable. That's all she had to say. Oh, I'm sorry. She added, it's not just getting here with the outside streets. It's also the safety of being inside the courthouse. King County Prosecutor's Office said Jory was convicted of indecent liberties two years ago. He's already been in trouble for being naked rolling around. He was released from jail last week after time served, and a week later he's back in handcuffs. You're kidding me. His family said that they've repeatedly tried to get him help, fearing he might hurt others, they or himself. And they also said that he's they've been warning the courts every time their son gets into trouble that he needs treatment, not a jail cell. Huge point. They've been trying to get him help for a very long time in all the court system. So, you know, the prosecutor's office. I wonder what questions they ask the prosecutor's office. His dad... This is sad. He said, it's a shock to me. I just had lunch with him yesterday in Madison Park. And he hoped that the worst had, was behind him after his son's release just days ago. He said, it's horrific for the victim and society and us. I don't think people realize how hard it is on the families of, of people that are not well, but also people that aren't well that commit crimes and hurt people. The father said Jory is mentally ill with an official diagnosis of schizophrenia with auditory hallucinations, which means he hears things, and he also is a severe methamphetamine addict. His mom, Laura Gibson, said she's petitioned the courts on numerous occasions to get him treatment. Police are not sure if he's connected with the notorious homeless camp next to the courthouse where a man was stabbed to death in June. Okay, side note. In June 17th, man, I think it was a kind of a kid, like my son's age, from Lake Charles, Louisiana, recently had moved to Seattle. He was fatally stabbed at this encampment. I don't know what he was doing there, but he was in a fight with a man who was staying at the camp. The mother of the victim has blamed Seattle and King County for not doing more to do something about the violence at the park. And she called for agencies to reimburse her for her son's funeral costs. In December 2019, three courthouse workers told the King County Council about the violence and the attacks, and they've been victims while working this whole time. That's eight months ago. The attack prompted King County Councilman Reagan Dunn to write a letter to Mary Jenny Durkin and County Executive Dow Constantine asking that they take action now. These people are the problem. Dunn wants the building closed for anyone except for workers or those who have legitimate business needs for going inside. I'm not sure if that's the answer either, dude. A spokesman said in a written statement, the city of Seattle agrees that there are significant public safety challenges at the park by the courthouse, which is why Seattle has committed a record level of resources to improve safety and around this park. Which is why Seattle has committed a record level of resources to improve the safety in and around this park. What resources? The next article is kind of a downer. I'm going to tell you right now. Because there's some really ludicrous stuff happening in this world. Moving on. Okay. Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. University. University of Pittsburgh. (laughs) Pittsburgh. University of Pittsburgh applied for 
millions of dollars from the National Institute of Health, NIH, infamous, we know them, in 2015 to become a fetal baby part distribution hub for the purpose of harvesting organs from aborted babies. This isn't new. People have been, colleges have been doing this. There are body part companies that allocate these aborted fetal uh, um, tissues and provide them to these laboratories. The NIH has been doing this for a very long time. Judicial Watch and the Center for Medical Progress shared public records obtained from the National Institute of Health showing how the University of Pittsburgh proposed procuring these aborted body parts based on the pre-born child's race. The records released by CMP, Center of Medical Progress, and Judicial Watch included a $3 million grant application submitted to the NIH by the University of Pittsburgh to become a fetal distribution hub for the Genito-Urinary Developmental Molecular Anatomy Project, GUDMAP, G-U-D-M-A-P. Let me read that again. Genito-Urinary Developmental Molecular Anatomy Project. In this application, they emphasize how it has, over for over 18 years of experience, collecting aborted baby body parts, and making it an ideal candidate for supplying the NIH researchers with fetal tissue. Their Tissue Hub website describes how its researchers isolate human genitourinary tissues. So genital and urinary tissues. These are, I'm assuming, pelvic tissues. They isolate these tissues and organs related to the urinary and reproductive systems from babies aborted between 6 and 24 weeks gestation. More of this application can be viewed on Judicial Watch's document archives page. Under point five, the university claims that in its process of harvesting the body parts, ischemia time is minimized. According to the NIH, this refers to the time a tissue, organ, or body part remains at body temperature after its blood supply has been reduced or cut off before it is cooled or reconnected to a blood supply. That's a quote from NIH. (laughs) The University of Pittsburgh went on to explain that labor induction is the procedure that will be used to obtain the tissue. They note if the fetus's heartbeat and blood circulation continue in a labor induction abortion for harvesting organs, it means the fetus is being delivered while still alive and the cause of death is the removal of the organs. They reveal that they want to harvest these organs on the basis of racial quotas. They intend to use inclusion or exclusion of individuals on a basis of sex, gender, race, and ethnicity when procuring these body parts. They would harvest 50% of aborted babies from white mothers, 50% from minority parents and their children, and 25% of those from black women. Allegheny County, they said, the major metropolitan area from which pit-based abortion practices draw patients is 80% white and only 13% black. The amicus curiae brief that CMP filed with the U.S. Supreme Court in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization The burdens of human trafficking of aborted infants disproportionately fall on minority communities. So they are targeting pregnant women and their children for fetal experimentation based on their race, and it's awful. And once again, they say that we find that black women are the big targets of the abortion industry and fetal harvesters. The next thing I want to talk about is I like ruffled some feathers on Facebook in my um in like the, my favorite murder group 
I belong to a, my favorite murder genre group because I do, I like their podcast. It's funny. They're funny. And so I, you know, I see stuff in there that my, my beliefs don't really align with everybody's beliefs in there. And so I have to exercise some tolerance and some self-control sometimes and just mind my own business. But this time I could not. <laughs> this is what this lady said, because it, it applies to kind of what's happening right now and the injustice that's happening right now. She'll remain nameless. She said, I came to vent because I know y'all will get it. I'm a nursing student in a small conservative ass backwards town. I have always known that the American education system was a hot mess, but y'all, this past year has driven me absolutely bonkers. The idiocy of the people in my town, and even my own cohort, who are so rampantly against the vaccine because they don't understand and refuse to try to understand science, I have about reached my limit. I am ready to roll up a newspaper and start booping people on the nose for the idiotic claims. I think the one theory that drives me nuts the most is that the COVID vaccine will cause infertility, mostly because that's not how this works. But like also, the American people are the workhorses of the U.S. government. Why would they put a limit on future capitalism slaves? How did everyone get so ignorant? I just don't get it. I'm going to scream into the void now. Okay, thanks. Bye. End post. Oh, and then she attached... A tweet from Louisville Dad814 on Twitter saying, We are going to have to wrap the vaccine in cheese, aren't we? So the responses are awful. You know, I just kind of read through some of the comments and I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? And the people like me who disagree are just super silent and afraid to say anything. And you just tell, like, nobody's touching that one with a 10 foot pole. Well, here I go. And this was my response. Um, I have a science degree and I'm not a supporter of this experimental gene therapy. I know many people in the medical field that do not support this push to force people into taking something potentially harmful. Just because we don't all agree with the efficacy or the need for this thing doesn't make us ignorant or even less smart than you. So boop right back with a rolled up newspaper on your nose for making assumptions about people and their intelligence. What happened to my body, my choice? There's a lot of comments about tricking people into taking a drug. Sounds an awful lot like the Bill Cosby move. So much wrong with all of this. And then some rando pops in there. Delta wave is stronger and more contagious than the original strain. Those who refuse to use PPE or the vaccine will be Darwined out of the gene pool. I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't think that's true. And how is this okay? So the following is a post I made in response to all of this. The judgmental and condescending stance some people are taking has made it scary for people to talk about how they really feel and people aren't standing up for what they truly think. Making jokes about tricking people to take a drug they don't want to take is sick. Bribing people to do things to their body is disgusting. People are doing it because they're being tricked or coerced. This is a direct violation of the Nuremberg Code. No means no. Hashtag bodily autonomy. Hashtag sacred. Hashtag informed consent. And after all of this, I have quite a bit of support. Many people disagree, but there are many who agree. Many are afraid of losing their jobs and being forced to take something they do not want or need. The convoluted idea that any of these variants are caused or extrapolated by people's natural immune systems is terrifying and wild. 
I literally blocked somebody who basically just laughed at my bodily autonomy post, you know, I just, it was just a laugh react, like no big deal, right? Nothing more. This person, Juicy Tidbit, is another a Naked and Afraid cast member, is someone I like respect and value. And I'm realizing that I do not receive the same respect, nor does this person value an individual's right to personal choice. I chose to block them because I do not have to tolerate any of it. I don't have to tolerate any of it. And neither do you. You do what feels right for you. Do not allow others to mock you, antagonize you, or bully you into anything other than what you feel is right for you. And now that I got all my ranting out, I feel better. The next thing is this meme I saw, which is really serious. And I wanted to share it with all of you because it terrified me. And I like, well, I don't like this, but I kind of like being scared a little bit. It's kind of fun. <laughs> this isn't fun, though. So I vetted this and I did a little bit of research. Well, I didn't do research. Can't call it research, but I did verify that this is a real thing that people have been studying and they've been cataloging. It's legit. And as I read through these, you tell me if it sounds familiar. These are the 10 stages of genocide. One, classification. People are divided into us and them. Two, symbolization. People are forced to identify themselves. Three, discrimination. People begin to face systematic discrimination. Four, dehumanization. People equated with animals, vermin, or diseases. Five, organization. The government creates specific groups to enforce the policies. Six, polarization. The government broadcasts propaganda to turn the populace against the group. Seven, preparation. Official action to remove or relocate people. Eight, persecution. The beginning of murders, theft of property, trial, massacres. Nine, extermination. Wholesale elimination of the group. It is extermination and not murder because the people are not considered human. And ten, denial. The government denies that it has committed any crime. Woo, that's pretty hot for Stacy's socials, wouldn't you say? And then I've only got two more. The next one is I just wanted to tell you guys there's an article in the Rolling Stone that Patricia Keneally, wife of Jim Morrison, the, well, the one that he married, even though he was with Pam for longer, I think. <laughs> I did read her book, Patricia Keneally. I did. I did. I, you know, I read all the books about. I was super into him. Anyways, it's sad that she died and she died from the, you know, the number one killer of women in our country is heart disease. Or it didn't say anything about whether or not she got the vaccine. Ooh. I don't know about you guys, but I've been seeing a lot of like sudden deaths, heart attacks, things that just, maybe it's just me, but have you, have you noticed any increase in just sudden death of anybody? Last but not least, I always say that, you know, my pillow, you know, Mike Lindell, whatever you think of him, whatever. But one of his employees lost their life recently. She was a 55-year-old woman. She was a Shakopee resident, Shakopee, Minnesota. Her name was America Mafalda Thayer. Like I said, she was an employee of MyPillow. This poor lady, somebody cut her head off in broad daylight on the streets in front of people. 
And it was her freaking boyfriend who was 42. His name was Alexis Sabaret. They had been in a long-term abusive relationship. Okay, so they I think they were driving down the road and he did it in the car and somebody filmed it and then they posted it on social media. No shit. The police department tweeted on July 28th, 2021 at approximately 2.30 p.m., Shakopee police officers responded to a report of a homicide near the intersection of 4th Avenue and Spencer Street. A suspect is in custody. There is no threat to public safety. An investigation is ongoing. We do not believe this was a random act of violence. We will release additional information at a later date. Again, there is no threat to public safety. This is also coming just days after the Minneapolis City Council voted 11 to 1 to put a measure on the November election ballot to disband the Minneapolis Police Department in favor of a public safety department. Holy shit. A moment of silence for this poor woman. And whoever just stood there and fucking recorded it and put it on social media, I just don't even, I don't even know what to say about that. I think the police department was pretty discouraged to see that that was circulating and if it's been on there it's probably still on there and that's just fucking awful so I feel really bad for her and her family that's a horrible way to go and then to be treated like that by somebody you have been in a long-term relationship with holy shit how is that for Stacy socials time for another accountability segment everybody first thing is first My son told me some crazy stuff about TikTok and how they, like everybody else, they tailor content for its viewers. He mentioned this thing called school shooter vibe, and it's this kind of trend in which, I don't know, kids are glamorizing this whole thing, and it's really sick and concerning and very, very dangerous. Everyone must be really cautious regarding what our emotional response is when the social shows us stuff that gets us riled up. Nothing should influence our thinking, emotions, and behavior the way that social media does sometimes. So let's all keep that on our minds. Next is, I figured out the character link thing in the show's notes. I can reduce the characters by using this link feature. So look below. I've given everything a little short title and linked the long-ass URL in the link feature. I'm super excited. I figured that out. Really simple, but it's a good thing. So... Now I don't have to bitch about that anymore. Next, I want to emphasize that what society says is anti-vax really isn't anti-vax. When people say someone is against this experimental gene therapy, it doesn't mean they're against all vaccinations. I must admit that before this whole thing, I was pretty pro-vaccination. I saw the value and the need for them, and I would say that I was very ignorant and very trusting and way too gullible. I never really particularly valued flu shots because I knew what went into the development of them. But I I had respect for the efforts because I knew what went into the development of them. I also don't really appreciate the HPV vax. Vaccinating against a few strains out of thousands, maybe millions, seems like a futile effort. And seeing people, especially children, being injured and affected the rest of their lives with severe neurological conditions and paralysis is just freaking heart-wrenching. It's just not, it's not right. 
So what society is telling people about people who are not trusting the efficacy and or the safety of this experimental jab isn't honest, it's criminal. Next, sometimes on this show we talk about really awful topics like SRA, the satanic ritual abuse, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual assault, and the like. The, the cringy, hard-to-listen-to material is important to discuss. It's important that these difficult topics are brought to the forefront. We cannot ignore them. For example, generational sexual abuse. The grandfather molests and rapes his kids. Those kids either have serious emotional challenges and confusion, and some become perpetrators of the same behavior. Next is the child who tries to tell an adult, say a mom, and the mom tells the kid, we don't talk about those things, or those things just happen in families, seemingly to protect the perp and try to normalize this behavior. Therefore, here at Fringe with Benefits, we talk about these things to normalize talking about them, and so they happen less, and so victims of this kind of abuse don't feel so alone. Talking about things is super healthy, and it's good. So if you don't want to listen, I'll try to give trigger warnings, but I'm not really good at giving those, because what offends somebody's senses may not be the same that would offend my, my senses. So let's just put that out there to begin with. Moving on, but relating to sharing a personal experience, one of these episodes I will share a very personal story about myself. I'll go ahead and kind of dox myself so no one else can do it. One day my past will be discovered, and I would like to be the person that exposes it instead of someone else. So stay tuned, because I'll have to do this very carefully. I was thinking of telling this story on a social media influencer page who speaks out on political issues and was asking questions from a pool of people that have experienced something that I am actually referring to. And I, I was going to tell my story with her, but I figured it would be better to just tell my story here. And if she wanted to interview me later, she could. Next in my intro, I said I would never tap out. Well, I have a confession. I did tap out this week, not, not on life or anything or my daily challenges, but there was a plank challenge at my gym. And I kind of knew I wouldn't last too long. I didn't want to be the first to tap, but I was, and I tapped first. I could, <laughs> during this whole thing, I could feel my spine clicking and like buckling and my vertebrae clicking against each other. So yeah, I was like the first and I was like, screw it. You know, I knew that I had already had uh, some success and how is because I said yes. I said no at first. Why would I want to compete with all these ripped people that are in the gym every day. I was perfectly fine being a wiener and doing my half hour hour on the elliptical because that's really my happy place. It's kind of where I go to decompress. But I changed my mind and I knew it was the right thing to do. I did exactly what I didn't want to do. I also took one for the team. I tapped first so the guy next to me could tap a few seconds later. Everybody was shaking. It was hard. And why, why is this bad? Why is the tap bad? You know, it's because I gave up at a minute and a half in and that's awful. But why is this also great? Because every failure is one step closer to a success. Every time you do something you don't want to do that's good for you, you start to win. Okay, well, let's, let's do business. Okay, let's get it out of the way. Follow the show's social medias. Fringe with Benefits has a Patreon. 
not the bee, I'm Golden Valkyrie. Literally, I contacted their customer service and a real person emailed me and helped me update my profile. Now that's a real service and not some dystopian nightmare like some other platforms we know. Instagram is at Golden, Golden Valkyrie, whatever, screw the underscores. Rumble and BitChute, same name. Inward Survival has its own website, www.inwardsurvival.com. Sign the mailing list so I can stay in touch. Go follow the Fringe with Benefits Facebook page, then find Inward Survival's Facebook page, and then while you're at it, go to my Facebook fan page at Stacy Leo Sorio. Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. YouTube is at Golden Valkyrification. I am on Parlay, Gab, and Minds, and MeWe. Go subscribe to the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review and share the show, but be mindful of the disclaimer. The disclaimer. I'm not for everybody, and some may be offended by my opinions and chosen content, so be mindful. Go visit the Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage linked below and click the Support the Show button. Thank you again to our subscribers, and remember, if you support the show, you support Inward Survival. Okay, thanks. Here at Fringe with Benefits, we look for stories, crazy ones, and we want to hear yours. Send me your mail at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Until then, I have one that will give you the heebie-jeebies. It goes like this. My dad grew up on dairy farms with his parents who worked for a guy who owned multiple farms, so they would hop around to different farms and manage them, so to speak. Also, we lived in Australia. Anyway, while my dad was in his late teens to early 20s, they lived in this house that eventually became known as the Spooky House to him and his parents and what they experienced while living there. Oh, and this is what they experienced while living there. The house was known to have a very foreboding feeling to it, like something was always off and you couldn't put your finger on it. The floor was made out of old wood that had little notches in it, and Nan, Dad's mom, put little stoppers in them to fill all the holes. A lot, a lot of the time they would wake up in the morning to find all of the stoppers were pushed up from underneath the house. Dad said they had these giant-ass hippie beads hanging in the doorway, so big and heavy it would have been a big gust of wind to move them. He lost count how many times he would get up early for work to find them swaying, like someone walked through them, but when he checked the bedrooms, everyone was asleep. I remember Dad telling me that slowly it got worse over time, like the house didn't want them there or something. At one point, Nan contacted a psychic to see if they could make it better or calm it down. Well, the psychic wouldn't even get out of her car and come up the driveway. She absolutely refused to come inside, and Nan was left flabbergasted and asked what she could do. The psychic told her to move. Dad said not long after these things would start stalking the house. To this day, he has no idea what they were, but he doesn't really want to know. Nan would come out in the morning and find that the grass was pressed down or trampled around the house, especially where the windows were. Her peg basket on the clothesline would be ripped to shreds and bits of it spread around. It started to get more serious when Dad would be woken up by scratching at his window on the outside. He was always too scared to look back at it because he knew whatever it was was staring right back at him while he was scratching the window. He was always too scared to look back at it because he knew whatever it was was staring right back at him while scratching the window. That's terrifying. They would check at morning to find that the paint had been scratched off the house at around human height and grass was flattened. At one point while dad was out working a few paddocks over, Nan came in and woke dad up and together 
they huddled in his bedroom, waiting for daylight as the thing stalked around the outside of the house. Speaking of, it stalked dad once, too. He was walking from the house to his dad a few paddocks over. I don't know what a paddock is. You guys email me and tell me what a paddock is. A few paddocks over to help with the cows. About 4 a.m.-ish, it was cold and there was frost on the grass. As dad was walking, he could hear a crunch, crunch coming from behind him. So he stopped and it stopped too. Dad was like, huh, and started walking again. And so it did. Again, dad stopped and it stopped. Now, starting to get freaked out, he, dad started picking up the pace and stopped again. Only this time it didn't stop, but started to come right at him. Dad fucking bolted, ran over two paddocks and cleared the fences. Didn't stop until he reached his dad's side. Whenever dad's parents left for a couple of days, he had the place to himself. Dad would host massive parties with his friends, and they had the run of the house and would sleep wherever they wanted. All of them ended up huddling in one room when they went to sleep. One time, it was just dad and his cousin over, and they played a game of pool and drank. At one point around midnight, both of them were sitting around and heavily drunk. A dark figure appeared and said, go to bed. Dad said he was pissed drunk and thought, hey, why the hell not? And they went to bed. The next morning, they woke up to find the game of pool that was left unfinished, put away, and his cousin asked, who's that person that was standing over their beds watching them sleep in? But dad didn't remember that part. Dad and his parents moved out, and someone eventually moved in. Not long after that, the house burned down. Dad didn't know what caused the fire, but he was sure as fuck happy about it. That's some scary either poltergeist activity or some other kind of cryptid. Who fucking knows? Send me your stories. The weekly topic this week, I'm going to blow right through this because I hurt my neck at the gym. (laughs) Actually, it was hurt before the gym and then I made it, I aggravated it and made it a million times worse. So now I'm going to have to freaking lay on my back (laughs) so it doesn't hurt. Ah, Anyways, the weekly topic is human augmentation. Okay, has anybody heard of human augmentation? This is a pretty new concept to me, even though we've been watching sci-fi movies about this forever now. You know, cyborgs, RoboCop, um, even some of the technologies that we use in everyday life are forms of human augmentation. And this is becoming a really big thing, everybody. So this article I read about it, he, it says that it refers to the enhancement of human abilities through the use of different technologies. It even refers to chemical substances that can enhance the brain, improving cognitive and physical conditions. Implants and external devices are considered to be examples. And the first is often referred to as invasive because it tends to require medical interventions. And the second is considered to be non-invasive because they can easily be removed at will. So for example, reading glasses or glasses to see versus the Neuralink. So this technology can be used in all kinds of different ways. It can be used for improvements like helping people, you know, making their brain work better or improving certain senses, but it doesn't stop there. It can be used for recreational purposes, like in the case of sports, competition, improving their performance. One of the most important examples of human augmentation and how it is used occurs in the medical field. Computer-based augmentation technologies. Not only can they improve, but repair the body and brain. You also have to think about like augmented reality. There is a number of advantages, 
with gaming productivity tools and commerce. These are some of the industries that benefited from augmented reality and mixed reality, which is a whole new other concept, honestly. There's also this ability for human augmentation technology to collect data on biometrics. And this poses many ethical challenges. One example is the pacemaker. This one uses a software and this technology needs to be programmed in order for it to work properly. And some of these technologies can and do use artificial intelligence and large amounts of data. This too has ethical implications. We have the issue that many patients don't get to know about what type of software their device is running on, who has control of that software, and what kind of rights do they have, what they use that data for. These devices can literally kill or save you, so they say that transparency and safety are crucial, right? And then another issue about what, what would we do if we brought in human augmentation into our society? There's this issue of the caste system, the issue of inequality. There are only a few people that would be able to enhance themselves, only the rich. Would it be fair if eventually many would be left behind? Some of the examples of human augmentation in our today's society, we've got wearable devices, our prosthetic limbs, our augmented reality devices, our hearing aids, and our brain devices. I fe- during doing some research on this and just seeing what people were saying about it, something came up in the very first couple of pages of a search on DuckDuckGo, and it was a document that is recent from 2021, written and published by the UK Ministry of Defense. On page 13, you'll see that there are 13 gene therapies and vaccinations that are a form of this kind of technology. Human augmentation does cover gene therapies and vaccinations. It says that the future of human augmentation should not be decided by ethicists or public opinion, that governments would need to make decisions about the human augmentation technology that we use. Making the decisions for the public with the justification of doing the greater good. They also say that it is important in the new arms race and that there's a huge reliance on the data from this. Data that they're actually collecting right now, if you guys aren't paying attention. So let's look at some definitions. You've got our wearables, we've got our genetic engineering, bioinformatics, brain interfaces, pharmaceuticals, exoskeleton technologies, that's a form of disclosure, sensory augmentation, nanotechnology, ethics, economic and societal implications. We've got life extension. You can live longer. I mean, geez. I mean, if you're healthy, hell yeah. And self-optimization. So can you imagine how how wanted and sought after this technology is going to be for people? They're going to do anything to be able to do what they want. I wanted to share with you this little tiny paragraph about what it says about social cohesion. It says human augmentation could help to improve social cohesion by increasing participation in society regardless of an individual's differences or impediments. Human augmentation could also allow people to connect in a more intense and creative way, for example, via linked brain-machine interfaces. Human augmentation will also provide tools for people 
to express their individuality in more pronounced ways, potentially leading to a more diverse society. This could lead to more creativity, acceptance, and innovation, but may also increase social fragmentation if people divide into different groups. For example, those who either reject human augmentation or use it for usual applications could be marginalized or even persecuted. Additionally, an augmented intelligent population may saturate the employment market and lead to swaths of highly capable young adults being obliged to take menial employment resulting in a sense of unfulfillment and frustration leading to social tension. And they look at all these projected scenarios. You guys need to look at this. It's of course it's linked below. Of course. Okay. So let's look at some examples of replication. They've got all these different types. Okay, naked prosthetics is for custom hand prosthetics. Esight is a wearable device similar to glasses that provide legally blind individuals with the ability to see their environment. This is freaking awesome. This device has cameras on the front that take in the environment and near eye quality and display it on a screen that sits right in front of the wearer's eyes. So that's kind of, I would say, sort of uh, archaic in a way. Next is Motion Savvy. This platform translates sign language into speech and speech into sign language, acting as a personal translator for deaf people. That's cool. Cochlear implants, we all know what those are, and that is incredible technology. Bioprinting, the process of creating organic tissues, organs, bones, and skin using 3D printing technologies. Ooh, this is fantastic. This technology is still in its earliest stages, but it has the potential to completely redefine the medical industry and how we think of healthcare. No shit, right? Then we have some examples of supplementation. The exoskeletons, which I think is fantastic. These are those wearable mechanical devices, kind of like the one Ripley had in Alien 2. Pretty badass. Worn on the outside of the body. This provides the wearer with artificial strength and endurance. The Sarcos Guardian is an example and makes a human be able to lift up to 200 pounds, perform precise operations with heavy machinery, and handle repetitive motions without strain, which is kind of what I need for my neck. (laughs) Neuralink, we've all talked about that. Elon Musk, highly publicized. This is the brain-computer interface with the implant in your skull. Next, we have Waverly Labs. This, they've made a set of earbuds that can translate conversations in real time with the foreign language thing. That's awesome. Google Glass. If you're not sure what this does, it is. So I don't even know what this is, and I haven't, I haven't looked this up. So I'm going to have to check out Google Glass. I'll have to write that down. Vision augmentation is becoming increasingly popular. HoloLens 2. This is a mixed reality headset from Microsoft that allows people to visualize and manipulate objects in holographic form. This device has many commercial and industrial uses, such as 3D computer aid design and design collaboration, and virtual instruction and gaming. Examples of exceeding. Zapata Flyboard Air. This is that badass turbine-powered hoverboard. That's badass. You can fly up to 500 feet in the air, and this is, this is incredible. (laughs) 
a turbine powered hoverboard. Have you seen it? I follow him on Instagram. Pretty badass. Invisibility cloak. This is also pretty awesome. And I'm sure we've had this technology for longer than before they started talking about it. Researchers have already come up with ways to make certain surfaces and objects invisible. And they're trying to do the same with human cloaking. The artificial blood cell, this they say is still theoretical. The, the research was by Robert Friedas Jr. He did research into mammals, whales, and dolphins who can hold their breath underwater for long periods of time. This assumed that their blood cells are better at storing oxygen, which we might be able to recreate. I bet they developed it. Nanobots. You know how everybody's like, ooh, nanotechnology, conspiracy theory, what? This is actually a robot that allows precise interactions with nanoscale objects and can manipulate with nanoscale resolutions. They can be deployed into the human body to perform tasks and do things that the immune system cannot. Synthetic memory chip. This idea was motivated by neuroscientist Theodore Berger, and these are chips that can be put in the human brain that could allow people to have perfect memories and never forget information. Wouldn't that be handy? ScienceDaily.com said the theory of self-determination divides well-being into three parts. Autonomy, the ability to make one's own decisions. Competence, the capacity to act and contribute to society. And societal relations, the network of relationships we can count on. We probed the individual and collective impact of human augmentation technologies based on these three components. The aim to being to alert governments to the possible abuses involved in the unrestricted use of these scientific advances, says the professor at the Center for Practical Ethics at Oxford University, Julian Savalusku. <laughs> They go on to talk about autonomy and making one's, one's own informed decision about how to lead one's life without being coerced with another person. It follows that an individual may choose whether or not to upgrade his or her faculties. Another article about a Space Force scientist warning us that the military is going to have to use human augmentation and that AI would crush the possibilities while humans resolve ambiguity, apply judgment, morality, and ethics, and that these results would be superhuman. So by integrating AI with the human, we could be death machines. In 2019, experts from DEVCOM, the Combat Capabilities Development Command, outlined a number of possible future technologies that could be used to enhance soldiers on the battlefield by 2050. The thought experiment involved dozens of scientists, military personnel, ethicists, and other experts discussing future technologies of what the impact cyborgs would have on society and how it would change warfare. And then in closing, we'll talk more about that, that it's not only inevitable, but it's we actually have to. This is the Pentagon's drive to outdo adversaries. In an event hosted by the Air Force Research Laboratory, AFRL, Dr. Joel Moser, a chief scientist for the Space Force, said superhuman technologies are on the horizon, insisting that the U.S. cannot afford to lag in this area. He goes on to say, in the last century, Western civilization transformed from an industrial-based society to an information-based society, but today we were on the brink of a new age, the age of human augmentation, 
In our business of national defense, it's imperative that we embrace this new age, lest we fall behind our strategic competitors. It's inevitable that we're going to be combining artificial intelligence and humans. We need to keep up with the arms race, like that that other paper said. AI is going to be essential in war planning and that we're going to be using autonomous programs that would advise our commanders. And this is going to extend on the battlefield, which I think that they would probably need that if we're going to be fighting wars in space, because that's what this sounds like to me. And I really want to be augmented to be in a constant state of flow where I can learn everything and retain everything and feel good and feel strong. That sounds freaking great. For our guest spot this week, go visit AmazingPolly.net. She's a great researcher. She's a great speaker. She's got a lot of really crazy and amazing ideas. So I want—I know why they call her Amazing Polly. And, you know, we got to support other truthers out there. So go check her out. I love Inward Survival School of Magic. And I hope you do, too. This week... <laughs> That was cheesy as shit. Okay. Nature bonding exercises. Below is leaked an article from Berkeley. It is a EDU, which is a good sign. That's what they tell us anyways. It says that several studies have looked at how viewing awe-inspiring nature imagery and photos and videos impacts emotions and behavior. One hypothesis from evolutionary biologist E.O. Wilson is the biophilia theory. This suggests that there are evolutionary reasons why people must seek out nature experiences, that we probably have evolutionary mechanisms that force us to have preferences to natural spaces, resource-rich areas, ones that would provide food and shelter and sustenance. There's over a hundred studies that have shown being in nature or living near or in nature or even viewing nature has positive impacts on the brain, the body, our emotional state, our thoughts, and our social interaction. Viewing nature seems to be inherently rewarding, producing so much positive emotions and it actually calms our nervous systems. And I do believe that on a molecular level, our bodies will intertwine with our surroundings, like life force intermingling with life force. It helps our health. It helps us to feel good and to do good to be in nature. One early study by Roger Ulrich found that patients recover faster from cardiovascular surgery if they had a view of nature out the window. So imagine just looking at it will help our body heal and will induce positive emotion. Writer Richard Loew coins the term nature deficit disorder, which is a form of suffering that comes from a sense of disconnection from nature and its powers. This is the school of magic, friends. So tap into nature's powers and get your journal out, walk around, observe what you see, write down what you're feeling, what your senses are telling you, sit in it and reflect in it for a little while. You can also commune with water, sit by a water feature, put your feet in, put your hands in, put it on your body, go stand in the rain, go stand in the rain naked, try it. Even walking on the ground in bare feet on some wet grass can help improve your mood. 
You can do this thing called tree talk or sit and meditate with a tree. Make this tree your friend. There is a there's an article attached below that's got a few things. No, it, nope, there is no article. But there are a few articles out there about certain little exercises you can do to kind of commune with nature for your inner hippie. You can do art with nature. I have a friend, my friend Dan, who is a totally awesome cartwheel doing amazing person. He creates art with nature and he will take a stick or something. I don't know what he uses. And he creates spirals in the sand on the beach. And he does these really beautiful, intricate spirals. Or you'll see people that'll build those towers of rocks, balancing the rocks. That's a great way to create some art using your natural surroundings. You can also dance with nature. I don't know if anybody's ever just gone out in your yard and just danced and felt the air on your skin and the grass on your feet and maybe even reaching out to a tree to touch its leaves. Yep, that's good because it's going to open your senses. And also you can practice some gratitude out there by finding what you love and naming it and professing your love to it, basically. And don't forget to ground your body while using your breath, feeling yourself breathe. Okay, do that. Next is eight studies that show consciousness affects reality. And that just takes us, you know, you're going to go out into nature, it's going to affect your mood, and then therefore your consciousness is going to give back to the universe. And this is how we're going to change our world. First, we have the placebo effect. Baylor School of Medicine did a study in which surgical options were sought for patients with debilitating knee pain. The team divided patients into three groups. First, the group had the damaged cartilage shaved from their knee, and then second, the damaged tissue flushed from the knee joint, and then third, the last group, participators were told they were performed on with invasive surgery, but they hadn't been. That group received no surgery, but they improved as much as the others had. That's the placebo effect. Our mind is powerful. Next is the heart and the electromagnetic experiments. A lot of people talk about this heart frequency that there's something that emits from our, our the beating of our heart and it's phenomenal. They're calling it, I don't, I don't know, heart math, the heart center. There's all kinds of different ways. And it's, it's an excellent meditative practice too if you, you focus your attention on your chest area. They say the most prolific electromagnetic forces in the human body occur around the heart. Using spectral analysis, researchers discovered encoded emotional information embedded in the electromagnetic field surrounding the heart. When emotions shift, this encoded information changes. As a result, scientists continue to study the ramifications of this profound discovery. This is the research that includes we feel and interpret this powerful force. Specifically, they hope to learn how to use emotions such as compassion, empathy, love, and understanding to make positive changes in us and others. Princeton's Intention and Desire Experiment. Researchers assembled about 300 people. They then observed a computer screen that showed one of two images, an astronaut or a leopard. The beginning of the experiment involved the transition of the images on the screen at random and at various time intervals. Then the researchers asked the audience what image they preferred. Most liked the image of an astronaut. After this, the subjects concentrated on 
only seeing the astronaut. The images continued cycling at random for a short time after they issued these instructions. Then the image of the astronaut was the only one that appeared until the experiment was concluded. To many, this leads to believe that random events can be altered with conscious influence. That's a freaky experiment. Next is another freaky one, the quantum double slit experiment. There's two slits, and small bits of matter are very quickly ejected from a machine through these slits. The pattern that resulted was expected. Two outlines of matter roughly in the shape of the slits, right? They went through the slits. However, when photons or other particles of matter ejected through the slits, they created multiple outlines. Scientists called this the interference pattern. In the popular peer-reviewed journal Physics Essays, the experiment has been demonstrated multiple times to explore the role of how consciousness shapes physical reality. We have talked about this before on the show. That's when it does something different when you're observing it versus so it's acting as a particle and a wave at the same time. So that shows that our just our just our attention changes how things behave. Next we have is the NSA CIA remote viewing experiments. Stanford University Stanford University scientists Stanford University and the NSA and the CIA demonstrated the ability of individuals to describe the appearance of remote geographical locations several hundred thousand miles away. One participant visualizes specific rings around Jupiter before pictures of it were taken by NASA and made public. In another experiment, participants were able to see the people and objects that were located in different rooms with no point of reference. That's bizarre. You need to look at the remote viewing experiments. There's a lot of documentaries on this. Teleportation. An experiment done by the People's Republic of China Researchers documented the ability of gifted children to teleport small objects from one place to another. They did the study under blind and double-blind conditions, which yielded the same results. They published their findings in an academic journal. I wish I had a link to this. Maybe I'll find that. Various academic institutions and the Department of Defense oversaw the study. Given the sensitive nature of the study, the government classified the results. However, various other studies and experiments have concluded the transportation of physical objects without a bodily carrier has been known to take place. How often do you hear about that, folks? Next, we have psychokinetic experiments. An unclassified 2004 U.S. Air Force research project titled Teleportation Physics Study Participants were instructed and subsequently applied psychokinetic practices. In this study, many people were able to bend or contort metal specimens with no physical force. These experiences occurred in various locations, including the Pentagon and the U.S. Army Intelligence and Security Command. Attendees and participants included military leaders, commanders, generals, and colonels. Furthermore, they documented that they felt a great deal of excitement. I bet they did. Then, the evolution of the human consciousness. This discovery that human beings can innately influence our reality goes back a long, long time, all the way to the Buddha. He continually taught that our thinking and our consciousness creates reality. And scientists have confirmed many of his teachings, especially on mindfulness and meditation, over and over and over again. Buddha's teaching that our thinking alters our physical being has been confirmed. And scientists have repeatedly demonstrated that mindfulness significantly alters the psychology of the brain. And to close this fascinating and incredibly important topic, Max Planck, 
a brilliant physicist, was quoted as saying, what we are today comes from our thoughts of yesterday and our present thoughts build our life of tomorrow. Our life is the creation of our mind. Our stoic thought this week is from Edward O. Wilson, or E.O. Wilson, as we like to call him. In his book, The Social Conquest of Earth, he said, Humanity today is like a waking dreamer, caught between the fantasies of sleep and the chaos of the real world. The mind seeks but cannot find the precise place and hour. We have created a Star Wars civilization with Stone Age emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. We thrash about. We are terribly confused by the mere fact of our existence and a danger to ourselves and to the rest of life. He also said, you are capable of more than you know. Choose a goal that seems right for you and strive to be the best however hard the path. Aim high, behave honorably, prepare to be alone at times and to endure failure. Persist. The world needs all you can give. And also, I will argue that every scrap of biological diversity is priceless to be learned and cherished and never to be surrendered without a struggle. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for showing up.